welcome to the UNT BSM audio resources. If you want more information on the BSM, you can go to untbsm.com. Thanks for listening. So like Stephanie said, this is our last official connect uh, of the semester, our last teaching, our last Bible study, uh, and our last time in the book of 1 John. So for some of you who have been with us since January, which maybe some of you feels like a long time ago, and others it feels like it was yesterday, uh, we are about to be done. You can mark off 1 John on your Bible reading list for the year. You read a book of the Bible in four months. Well done. Yeah. So don't, you know, if your goal was to just read one book, you're already done, so you should make a new goal and read another one. Okay? Um, and so we're going to finish 1 John tonight. So that is a promise that I can guarantee to you, okay? And so as we dive into this word tonight, um, our theme for this whole semester, okay? We say this every week, uh, but for some of you, maybe you fall asleep, or maybe you haven't been here, or maybe you missed a few weeks. Our hope for the, gospel, or for the book of 1 John uh, is so that you may know. And we've talked about different things, right? So that you may know that you're a child of God. So that you may know what love is. So that you may know that your sins have been forgiven. And tonight, we're going to actually see where this phrase comes from. Right? John, at the very end of his letter, tells us why he wrote the letter. So that you may know that you have eternal life. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And we're going to get into it uh, so that you may know that you have received e- eternal life. And we're going to walk through this, and we're going to move pretty quick. And so this section of John is really a recap of the rest of the letter. So if you've been here with us every week, we're going to recap. And then at the very, very end, First John actually ends kind of awkwardly, and we're going to talk about it, okay? Uh, and so... Before we get into that, um, I wanted to uh, let you guys know and really bring up um, the idea that John is writing this to tell them a truth, to give them a fact, to give them good news, right? That's what, so when we say the gospel, what does the gospel mean? Well, that word actually means good news. So he's writing to them saying, hey, this thing that I've received, this thing that I've heard, I'm giving to you. You can trust this. You can know this. You can hold on to this. You can cling to this. But different news that we hear, whether that's in the media or you hear from a friend, it affects us differently, right? Different levels of news, okay? So this is maybe news to some of you. Some of you I may have told. uh, This is actually fairly new news to uh, my wife and I. We have recently, in the last few weeks, found out we were pregnant, which is exciting, right? That's good news. That's exciting, right? Here... That's my baby. That's weird to say. Okay? That's kind of weird. Right? So that's, that's uh, there's a head there, and there's a nose, and you can see the outline. And uh, in the ultrasound, the lady showed, like, you can, like, fully formed arms, fully formed legs. It's, it's really strange, actually. Um, it's about, our baby's about the size like that. And it's fully formed, uh, and that news was really exciting to my wife and I. 
But that news is kind of different for me now than it probably will be in six more months when the baby's born, right? Right now, I'm kind of just anticipating. I'm kind of waiting for it to happen, just pop out. And, and now I have this baby that I'm supposed to take care of. Um, so for me, it's just like, okay, I'm just kind of waiting for this to happen. But my wife, that news was a little different because at first, she began to maybe feel a little sick to her stomach at the beginning, which is normal. Uh, and she was like, no, there's no way I'm pregnant. That can't be, you know, I'll believe it when I, when I see it or when it's proven to me. Uh, and eventually it was. And this news affects her maybe a little differently than me because for the next, for the rest of the six months, for the rest of the pregnancy, it's going to affect her in different ways than it's going to affect me, right? And for you guys out in the, here at the BSM, some of you will leave here tonight and totally forget this good news, okay? You will, you will leave here tonight, you've never met me, you'll forget that I exist in a few months, and that news will, will be news you heard, and now it's gone, right? And for some of you who are closer to me, uh, you'll remember that, and maybe you'll see pictures, and maybe you'll meet our baby one day, and but news affects us and it kind of impacts our life in different ways. And so tonight, the news that John has been telling us all semester is this news isn't just news you hear, goes in one ear and out the other. That this good news changes your life. That it impacts your life today. Not in nine months, right? Not in a week, not in 20 years when you decide, um, I'll start taking my faith seriously when I'm an adult. Right? Whatever that means. When I'm done with college. Right? This good news that John has been sharing, that he has given his life to, influences and affects your life today. And so we're going to see that as he ends this letter. He's going to give us some really clear reminders of truth that we can cling to as believers. Okay? So let's go ahead and dive into our text today. This is 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 through 21. Um, and uh, there's Bibles around you. Look it up. Uh, it's the, the Bible's near you, page 593. Uh, and, the, and the big number is the chapter. So we're in chapter 5, verse 13, okay? And as we read this, I want you guys to listen for one word, okay? As we read this, okay? So every time you hear this word, I want your maybe ears to perk up, pay attention, okay? And it's the word no. And this is where maybe the English language is a bit not, not easy. I don't mean N-O, but I mean to know, K-N-O-W. So every time you hear that word, I want you guys to listen in, okay? So let's read the text. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. 
If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death, and I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Verse 18, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. So there's seven no statements in that in this section of Scripture. So John's really wanting us to know at the end of all of this, all of this maybe theology, all these things he said, if you missed anything, if you zoned out, if you guys haven't been here all semester and you came tonight, it's a good night, right? Because he's going to recap this for us. Know this, beloved. So who here is, uh, you study language? Is anyone like an English major or maybe you study a different kind of language? Anyone? Uh, no? No? Maybe a little bit? Did anyone maybe pay attention in like grammar class growing up? I definitely did not. That was not my uh, forte in college or in high school, junior high, elementary. But I thought this would be really interesting. Um, in this section, does anyone know what an indicative verb is? An indicative, okay? An indicative verb is a verb that is a statement of fact, okay? Um, so we use verbs like this all the time, uh, where you're saying something and the verb in the sentence that you use is a fact, okay? And so in this passage tonight, there are 28 indicative verbs, okay? There are 28 verbs used to prove a fact, to say that this is true, that this has already happened, it's already happening right now, and it will happen. Just like gravity, right? Gravity exists, right? Whether you like it or not, gravity's here, gravity's going to stay, and gravity's going to continue on. Like these facts, these verbs that he's using, 28 of them are statements of fact. This is true. And at the very end, in the last verse, after all of this, he gives us uh, an imperative verb. Does anyone know what that one is? An imperative verb is a command. So after all of these things, he's going to say, know this, believe this, and he's going to tell us to know and believe these things with 28 verbs that state facts. He's going to say, now, because of all of these things, do this. And so in this verse 13, if everyone would maybe turn there and look, this is the key verse for the book of 1 John. If you're going to highlight, if you're going to read, if you're going to memorize a verse, this is it, okay? All of 1 John is summed up into this one verse. 
I write, this is John saying, I write these things. What are these things? The things that have come before this whole letter. I write all of these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So again, this letter is written to believers. This book is written to people who claim to be Christians. This book is written to people who are trying to follow Jesus. And he said, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And so leading up to this point, uh, John has been talking about uh, a series of, uh, of things he's repeating, right? We've seen the same thing, right? Uh, the first one is, what do you believe about Jesus? We've seen that a lot, right? He's talked about, the, remember the Antichrist? Some of you were here for that week. We talked about what is an Antichrist. We talked about testing the spirits. And all of those kind of came down to, what do you actually believe about Jesus? And then the second test we could maybe say is, uh, okay, so you say you believe this about Jesus, so now do you actually obey and worship him? Okay, that's test number two. And the third test we see also a lot in this letter about love and loving others. Okay, you say you believe this about Jesus, you say you actually worship and love God, but actually do you love other people? And really specifically in this letter, it's do you love God's people? It's hard to love God's people if you're not around God's people. It's hard to love God's people if you're not in a community with God's people. So this letter was written to a church who was struggling with these things, right? Does anyone struggle with some of these things? I, I know I do. I know churches do. I mean, this is a timely letter for, for all of us of all time. And so this entire letter was written so that you may know that what you have heard about Jesus is true. And so the question then for us, you know, we, we throw around all these biblical terms and I like to ask, okay, so what does that mean, right? So you say, okay, John is saying you have eternal life. What in the world are you talking about, right? What in the world do you mean I have eternal life? And so in the most basic sense, eternal life is living forever with God in heaven, right? That's maybe the, the basic Christian answer. Eternal life is, is living in heaven with God for eternity, right? Who's maybe heard that? If you're a Christian, hopefully your church has talked to you about that. That's your basic understanding of eternal life. But for the people in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, and even the people John's writing to, the idea of life and death is a lot more than just the physical world, Okay? When they talked about life and death, it wasn't just like, okay, you're going to die one day, so you better live a good life before you get there. And the idea of eternal life didn't just have to do with, okay, uh, eternal life is coming, but it's not yet here, so you can live however you want. The idea of life in the Bible, when you, when you see the word life in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, the word life in the Bible has to do with blessings from God. If you are living um, if, if you are living in life, you are being blessed by God. You have peace in your life with God. And you are, uh, the other one, this is kind of weird, but you have been given land. Okay? That's a big Old Testament one. But in the Old Testament, the idea is that God promised the people of Israel this land, and the land is where God dwelt. 
right? I'm going to give you this land. You're going to live here, and you're going to dwell with me, and you're going to be my people. So this idea of life was more than just a spiritual, like, eternal life is coming. No, eternal life is today. And the same thing with the idea of death. And In the Bible, the idea of death isn't just a physical thing that's coming. I mean, it's today. Death in the Bible is you live a life of, of curse. You've been cursed, okay? We don't really think about that. You live a life in exile, separated from God. You live a life of hostility towards God and towards one another, and even maybe towards yourself. So when we talk about eternal life, we're not just talking about something that's going to happen one day, and we're just waiting for that day, and until that day comes, I'm just going to keep living however I want. And this, this isn't just about a duration of time, it's about a quality of time. Yeah? And so in this life, there are actually few guarantees. That's, I think, a big part of this set of, of 1 John, is, is that in life there are few guarantees. And in throughout this letter, John is continually reminding these people, there's one guarantee and it's found in Jesus. If you want eternal life, it's found, I guarantee it, it's found in Christ. But in our culture, even today, right, there's lots of products that we find in our life and a lot of companies that guarantee a lifetime guarantee, right? Or a lifetime warranty, yeah? Um, so one of them, uh, does anyone have a Jansport backpack? Have you ever had a Jansport? Did you know Jansport offers a lifetime guarantee? That if your Jansport backpack actually breaks, you send it in and they will fix it. Did you know that? So that backpack right there, I've had since probably 2005. I was, I, was, I was little back then, okay? Probably like freshman in high school, uh, had a lot more hair, um, not as thick glasses, uh, pretty cool. I've had that, bo- that backpack since then, right? <laughs> okay? And I've taken this backpack all over the world. I've, I've done everything. I've left old food in here and it like kind of rotted and got past the point of rot to where it's just like there. And then I cleaned it out. That was in college. Uh, so maybe some of you have experienced that. But this backpack still works. I'm, I'm amazed by it. None of the zippers have broken. And at the time, I remember my mom saying, that's an expensive backpack. And at the time, I bet it was like a $50 backpack. Now they might be more. I have no idea. I haven't bought, it. I haven't bought another backpack in a long time, okay? <laughs> but Jansport guarantees a lifetime of use. And there are other companies, too. There's one I, I just wanted to show you. There's a ton of them, but there's one like Polar Bottle. Does anyone have one of those? Has anyone seen one of those? Um, this is a water bottle that guarantees lifetime usage. But then almost every company has something like this, though. Every bottle goes through several levels of quality control before it's shipped out, and our products are designed to last for years. Okay? It doesn't say how long years are. I'm assuming a lifetime because it's a lifetime guarantee, but that being said, we understand that things happen, right? Life is hard. Uh, so we offer a lifetime guarantee on all of our products that if your water bottle breaks, we'll send you a new one. We'll refund it. And a lot of companies are actually like this. And a lot of the companies that are like this are the ones that maybe are more expensive up front, but then they last for forever, right? Or at least they're supposed to, right? Lifetime guarantee. 
And so for a lot of these, I mean, when I say I've had this backpack since 2005, I mean, it almost seems too good to be true, right? That this backpack will last me maybe another 20 years. I'm just kind of waiting on the day it stops working, and so then I can send it in and get a new one, right? And, and, and honestly, I would love for it to stop working because it's getting pretty old and gross, okay? Uh, so I would love to get a new one, but it's still working, so I'm going to keep it, keep using it. But it almost seems too good to be true, right? And maybe some of you, you know, ah, I don't believe you, Jay. That backpack looks like you bought it yesterday. Well, I didn't, okay? Come take a good look and smell, and you'll know. (laughs) And so John is guaranteeing eternal life is found in Jesus. And the question is, do you believe him? Like, he's written this. He devoted his life to it. One of the early apostles, one, one of the original disciples and closest followers of Jesus gave his entire life on this side of heaven so that you may know that eternal life is found in Jesus. And he guarantees it. Do you believe that? I think sometimes it's too good to be true, right? It sounds too good, it sounds too easy. And so as we walk through these next few verses, we're going to move pretty quickly. Uh, So you can talk about these in your group. Um, And some of these are really repetitive. We already talked about these this semester, but we're going to move pretty quick through these. And just listen for these and so that you may know. Because you have eternal life, know this, right? Eternal life doesn't start in 50 years. It starts today. Okay, so let's look at verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. So this idea of confidence, because you have eternal life, because you have peace with God, because you believe in the name of, the name of Jesus, you have confidence. That word confidence, you can translate it actually freedom of speech. That's the same word. You can translate it boldness, openness, all, 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 all speech. You can say whatever you want. You are now, you can go directly to God. And so the first, right, there's six more to know statements from verse 14 through the rest of this. And so the first one is we know that he hears our prayers. That's a statement of fact. We know that he hears us. And again, that us is God's people. We know, not only does he hear us, we know that he answers our prayers. So we can draw close to God because of what Christ has done. Because of what Christ has done, you now have peace with the one true God. You can go before God. Do you believe that God actually hears your prayers? Do you believe God actually answers your prayers? I think sometimes we're, we, we, we don't want to go to God because we're not really sure if he's going to answer him. And especially he may not answer in the way we want, right? But here it's saying that he answers all of our, answers all of our, our prayers. Everything we ask, he gives. But there is a condition, right? Asking according to his will. This is something you guys can talk about in your groups, but I just wanted to make this one statement here. 
You know, we ask according to God's will and He answers our prayers. And I'll just say this, the more time we spend with God and His Word and His people, our desires begin to look more like His desires. So the things you maybe prayed when you first became a Christian maybe aren't the things you're praying now or what you're praying for in 20 years. You begin to, your, your prayer life begins to shift. The things you desire even in your own heart begin to change. And you desire things that are from God and that God desires. And so in verse 16, this section actually kind of seems to like, where does this come from? Okay, we were just talking about prayer, and then all of a sudden he talks about praying for other people, but I, it directly goes with this, I think it's an example of what it looks like to, to truly pray with confidence. And he says, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, all right? So this section can kind of get a little confusing. I think it's, uh, uh, just reading it by itself, it doesn't maybe make a lot of sense. If we look at verse 17, it says, All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. So, so maybe, uh, for those of you maybe you aren't familiar with the Christian faith or what the Bible teaches, is that all sin leads to death. Okay? And the Bible would actually say that because you have already sinned, you are already dead. Okay? Again, death isn't something that's coming. For those who are not in Christ, they are living it right now. I mean, that seems really spiritual. Maybe that seems really weird. But Christianity is a very spiritual religion. I think the West, we've, we've dulled down the spiritual aspect and nature of Christianity, but it's a very spiritual religion. And so, verse 17, all wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. And what is that sin that doesn't lead to death? It's the sin that's been forgiven. It's, it's, it's the sin that's already been forgiven in Christ. So for those who are God's people, your sins have been wiped away. And we've already kind of talked about that this semester, but do you believe that? Do you know that to be true? Right, that when you fall into sin, even as a believer, that you can go before God and He will forgive you. That your sin has already been paid for by Christ. Do you believe that and know that to be true? And so here in verse 16, He gives us an example of praying with confidence like this. And so He says you should be praying for your brothers and sisters. That if you see them in sin, go and pray on their behalf so that God will grant them life. And the confusing part maybe, and the, maybe the, the, the strange part is at the end of verse 16, there is sin that leads to death. Right? And what sin leads to death? Sin that's not been paid for. Sin that's not been forgiven in Christ. And then it says, I do not say that one should pray for this. And so that's a, even a weirder verse. Okay, so is John telling me not to pray for non-believers? Is John telling me not to pray that people would find life? And I don't think that's necessarily what John's saying. Now, that section of the verse is um, difficult for us to interpret today. 
John doesn't give us what he's talking about because whoever he's writing to, this church, probably already knows. So for us, uh, this far, this is maybe one of the few sections in 1 John where we maybe have a hard time understanding maybe exactly what he's talking about. So again, this is my interpretation. But in this letter in chapter 2, we saw that people were a part of their church and left. Does anyone remember that? There were people that were a part of this little church and they left to go start a false teaching church probably down the road. And I can only imagine how burdensome, how sad, how angry, how frustrated this church is. Maybe they're pleading with God to save these people that have left. And I think in some ways, and this, this, again, this is how I am interpreting this verse. I think John is saying that no longer feel a burden for them. They have gone off. They have left the faith. They have turned from God. You, you can't really do much for them anymore. So I think that's really what he's saying here. He's not saying don't, and, and again, I think when this applies to our life, it's not don't be friends with non-believers. Don't, don't, don't hang out with people. Don't pray for people who, who don't believe. But I think he's saying here for this little church who's probably felt a lot of burden and sadness and grief over this event. I mean, it was so much grief he wrote a letter for them about it. He talked about it in the letter. And so again, all wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. And so for those of you who are in Christ, your sin has been paid for. So you can boldly go before God with requests, with thanksgiving, with praise, with worship. That you don't have to go through someone else. You don't have to go through a different person or a different human. That you can go directly to God. And so if we look into verse 18, and we're going to move through these next few really quick. We've talked about these quite a bit this semester. And so verse 18 says, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. And we know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And so right there in these two verses, we see these next two no statements. So the first two, does anyone remember? We know that God hears us, and we know that God answers our prayers. And the next one is we know that we are freed from sin and the power of Satan. And we've talked extensively about this this semester, but those who are in Christ have been freed from the powers and the darkness in this world. That you no longer have to live in fear. You no longer have to live um, in sin. That you now, because of God's Spirit, you now have the power to overcome. And then the third one, or the fourth one, is we know that we belong to God. That you no longer belong to the world. In chapter 2, he talked about do not love the world or the things of the world. So know this, that you belong to God. 
And in verse 20, to end up our list, uh, in verse 20 it says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. So the last two is, we know that the Son of God has come and given understanding. And why has He done that? So that we can know Him who is true. And who is it that's true? It's Jesus. Who is it that's true? It's God. So I just think it's really interesting. He ends this letter this way. Bringing it all the way back full circle to the beginning of what we talked about today. That life, true life, eternal life is found in Jesus. He ends with, and we know him who is true. This is why Jesus came, guys. You know, I think for, for some of you, maybe you, you, you are not a believer or you don't really know about the Christian faith or maybe you've gone to church for a long time and have wondered about this man named Jesus who uh, not only Christians but Muslims and uh, Hindus and Buddhists and atheists all like to talk about. That the Bible teaches that Jesus came for one purpose. He didn't come to give you everything you always desired. He didn't come to give you the life that you've always dreamed of. Whether that's that house, that, that car, that, that relationship. He came so that you could have peace with God. That through His life, death, and resurrection, that you could have peace with the one true God. That you could have true life today if you would believe and trust in this. So now we have verse 21. Okay? That, would be, that, that, might, that might have been a really great ending, right? So now we have verse 21 and it says this. So because of all of these things, because of all of these things you've heard, because of all these things that as believers you should know is true, little children, keep yourselves from idols. And he's called them little children this whole time, right? He's called them little children this whole letter. And this isn't, this isn't uh, uh, to be like looking down on them or belittling them. I think it's more from a very uh, parental, pastoral loving uh, way of, of saying, look, I, I am older, I'm wiser, I, I care for you like I would care for my own child. What I'm saying to you, I'm not saying to gain anything or, or to earn anything. I'm, I'm telling you this because this is going to lead to your life, lead to your goodness, lead to your joy. So little children, keep yourselves from idols. And that word keep right there, uh, in, in different translations, it's translated guard, protect. This is the only thing in this last section. Because of all of these things, beloved Christian, one who claims to follow Jesus, guard yourself from idols. And so most of us, uh, uh, just like the picture on the screen, when we think of idols, especially as Westerners, this is like, a, what, what are you even talking about, right? Maybe some of us think, if you know any Bible stories, you think of the golden calf where the people of God are worshiping God in the wilderness. Um, or maybe you've 
maybe you're from a different culture, a different place in the world, or maybe you've traveled and you've seen other places in the world where they maybe have more idols. And a lot of times these idols, even this idol in this story, this idol represented something. And what is idolatry? Idolatry is sin. And what is sin? It's worshiping anything over God. It's valuing something over God. And I think many of us, and this is how we're going to end tonight, I think many of us, especially in America, especially in the Bible Belt, uh, and especially those of us who have grown up in church, were no different than the people in the Old Testament who believed in Yahweh, but they also believed in this false God. And they also believed in this other God over here. So not only, I mean, they believed in, in God. They also believed in this other God and this other God over here. And maybe this other one over here just in case. And so when it comes to idols, I mean, this is, this is us. Right? This is really what it is. Back in the day, I mean, I don't know how many of you have studied um, um, like mythology or ancient religions where they had the God of fertility, the God of love, the God of war, the God of power. You know, you know what I'm talking about? And they would pray to different gods, the God of rain even, for different things. So when this one God maybe wasn't, wasn't doing what I needed, I'd go to this one. When this one God wasn't doing what I needed, I'd go to this one. And many of us who have grown up in church, and especially all of us who are just people, which that's everyone here, okay? We worship something. We have made something an idol in our life. Whether that's money, whether that's success, whether that's, right, I mean, all of the things. Even family, I mean, some of these, none of these things are bad, okay? Uh, maybe some of them, but uh, let's see here. Uh, yourself, entertainment, religion, fame, pleasure, money, family, career. And the question is, what is it that you worship with God, right? You have God over here. I think many of us, were waiting on eternity. So until I get to eternity, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to worship right here with this God. And once I get to eternity, then I'll turn my affections to Jesus. Or I say later I'll get to Jesus. Right now I'm going to focus on my relationship with this boy or girl. Or I'm going to focus so much on school right now, I'm going to throw away everything else because if I graduate with this degree, I'm going to get this job. It's going to give me this amount of money, and I'm going to be able to live the life I've always wanted. So one of the stories, again, you know, I haven't, I haven't told the story about uh, Kenya yet. Um, I heard this story, and this is very common, not only in Kenya, but in a lot of parts in Africa, uh, where it's still very spiritual. Again, we as Americans, we struggle with idols. We just, they're hidden. And sometimes you don't know what idol someone struggles with until you really get to know them. But in other parts of the world where they still maybe have idols, physical idols that represent things, it's easier to see. And so this is very common uh, where I was told this story where this missionary, it wasn't me, he was in this village and he was walking around with this um, local pastor, and they were going to visit the house of one of the new members of the church. 
And the pastor and this missionary went to this house and they visited with this man for a while, uh, like was customary. And eventually they got to the point and the pastor said, okay, show me. And the, the man was like, what are you talking about? Well, show me all the idols that you have in your house. And the guy was like, I don't have any idols. And the guy was like, you and me are the same. I know you have idols. And so the man was like, okay, okay, you got me. I got one. So he goes in his house, and he, 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 it's very common there to bury different things in your house to, for protection, to ward off evil spirits or, or protect your family from certain diseases or things like that. So he goes and uh, um, digs up um, something, right? Could have been some animal bones that had been blessed. It could have been something that had been um, like hexed or charmed. I know this sounds crazy maybe to us as Westerners, but this is, this is real life. So they bring it out, and the pastor looks at it, and he says, okay, let's keep going. Bring him out. And the guy's like, oh, that was the only one. And the guy's like, no, 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 I know. And the guy's like, okay, fine, you got me. Okay, I got this other one over here. So he goes and digs it up, and he comes, okay, here it is. And he puts it on the table with the other one, and the pastor's like, I know there's more. And the guy's like, you're right. So he goes outside in front of his house, and where the line of his property is, he, he, he knows that the guy has buried something there to protect his house. He goes and digs it up and brings it in and drops it on the table. And it's so common in that culture to believe in Jesus. But then just in case Jesus doesn't work, just in case the guarantee of Jesus isn't a guarantee. I'm going to have these other things. These other things in my life. And there it's really easy because they have physical things. And that pastor knew his people. He knew his culture. He knew where that man had gone to the witch doctor and had something blessed. So the question for us tonight is, what are those things that you are keeping a close grip onto. And a lot of these things are really personal. A lot of these things are, are things we don't want to share with others. But what is it that you cling to, you hold on to, that you, even, even, I'll take you, Jesus, but I don't think I can give this up. Whether that's your career, whether that's your relationship, whether that's something in your life that you deeply desire. There's so much more we could talk about, and I've gone way over time. I'm really sorry. <clears throat> but I want to read the, the very beginning of 1 John one more time, and then we'll be dismissed. Or I guess maybe the band will come up one more time, okay? So I'm going to read 1 John 1, 1 through 4. And it says this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father 
and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Do you trust in this? This is the letter of 1 John. Do you trust in this man who was probably one of the closest people to Jesus in his writings? Do you trust that this is true? What he says leads to life. And this is something that John is guaranteeing leads to true life. So let's, let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for who you are and how you have sent the Son to live the perfect life, to die the death that we deserved, to pay for our wickedness and our rebellion against you, and overcame darkness, overcame sin, overcame death, overcame the evil one when we could not, rose from the dead to prove once and for all that what you say is true. I just pray that we could believe this, that we could trust in this, that we would not be deceived, led astray, that we would cling to to you, we would cling to your word, and when we cling to your people, So we just pray this all in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.